Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we welcome screenwriter, novelist, Karen McCullough to the show. Along with co-writer Kirsten Smith, Karen has written such hit films as Legally Blonde, The Ugly Truth, Ten Things I Hate About You, and The House Bunny. Her films have earned over half a billion dollars at the box office worldwide. Uh, Karen is also a published author with her debut novel, The Bachelorette Party, earning an A from Entertainment Weekly and reviewed as Laugh Out Loud Funny by Publishers Weekly. She's currently hard at work on The Expendable, an all-female version of the blockbuster action franchise The Expendable, and an all-new novel, Permission. Her latest film, Crazy Kind of Love, starring Virginia Madsen, is now available on DVD and video on demand. Thank you for joining me today, Karen. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, um, so we're starting off our uh, podcast series uh, in a new way. There's five quick questions. Actually, they're not that quick. Five questions about you um, that... Uh, you can we can get a little bit more of an idea of you as a writer and uh, uh, you know what you go through. Um, okay. So the first question is, how did you get started as a screenwriter? I was trying to write a novel and I got bored with it, and I picked up a book called How to Write for Film and Television, and I read that and decided that that was what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. So the very next day, I saw an ad in the paper. I was living in Albuquerque at the time. And there was a weekend seminar called How to Write for Film and TV. And it was by a retired television writer who was living in Santa Fe. So I went to his seminar and was even more convinced that this is what I was supposed to do. And he had a weekly workshop up in Santa Fe where you would go read your 10 pages that you wrote and he would critique them. And So I did that for about a year. And at that point, I had a couple scripts written and uh, just started sending query letters to agents and production companies and did that for, I think, four and a half years before I sold one. I think I'd written nine or ten scripts at that point. I was living in Denver and finally got lucky and sold one. So that's how it started. But and yeah, it was a lot of perseverance in that. And here you are today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, and I think that's a huge key is, is talking about perseverance and you've written nine or ten scripts. I don't, most young writers, I'm not even talking baby writers, real young writers, first time writers think that their ideas are golden and their first script is going to be one, the one that's going to sell. And for so many writers, it's again, script five, six, ten, twelve, fourteen before they actually sell something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first ones are practice for sure. Sure. That's why I always tell people that, you know, so many people get hung up writing and rewriting their first script for years and years and years. And I'm like, put it aside, start your second one, then go back when you're done with your second one and read your first one, and you're going to be horrified at some of the things you put in there. And glad you have the chance to rewrite it before anyone else got their eyes on it. Right. And then go on to the third one, and then go back and look at the second one and the first one again and fix those. But yeah, if you keep obsessing over the first one for five years, it's you're just going to drive yourself crazy and start hating the process of writing. You right. Keep moving, and and then you'll finally, finally get it. Right. Um, okay. Question number two: How do you write with a writing partner? What's your process like? Um, well, we used to write long distance. I lived in Denver um, when we first started writing together, and she lived here. So we would, you know, I'd write pages, and she didn't even have email. This is. I mean, email existed. She just didn't have it. <laughs> so I would mail her pages or fax her pages and airborne pages. It's crazy. Um, but now we write everything in the same place. Mm-hmm. We sit in the same room and write it all together. 
it's much faster that way. And plus, when you're writing it separately like that, you kind of just end up rewriting each other and arguing more because you're like, "What do you mean you didn't like that scene?" But if if you're <laughs> conceiving the scene together and you're both on the same page and from the idea on, then it's it's more fun and there's less to argue about. Right, right. Um, now you've written a lot of of comedy, Legally Blonde, and Ten Things I Hate About You. What is the most challenging thing about writing comedy? Um, I actually like writing comedy better than writing drama um, because if I'm right, if you know, if I think of a line and it immediately makes me laugh, then I know it's funny because it made me laugh. But when you're writing drama, um, you're like, is this a deep thought or is this only deep to me? <laughs> so, no, it's, I think so. I th- actually think drama is a little more subjective. But um, with comedy, it's, I don't know, comedy writing is just fun to me. It's like I get to sit around and make myself or my partner laugh all day. It's kind of a good, good gig. Um, okay, now speaking of, what is your average writing day like? Oh, well, it involves lots of procrastination at first. <laughs> I have to check my email and several times and probably order some things online and <laughs> work out and play with my dog and think about what I'm going to write. And then there's probably a closet that needs cleaning. And then finally I sit down to write. But once I sit down to do it, then I'm immersed. Um you know, all of a sudden I'll be like, wait, why is it dark out? It's only noon. But it's just it's the act of getting yourself to sit down and do it. I don't know why that's so hard sometimes. But, right. Um, well, you're but when I work with Kirsten, we try to have set hours that we work. Um, when I work on my own, it's that's probably when I procrastinate the most because there are no set hours. I just I have to be my own boss. Right. But, uh, yeah, just, once I sit down, I'm I'm in the flow, but it's just forcing yourself to sit down, which whenever I do it, I'm always like, why did I wait all day to sit down and start writing at five when I'm having such a good time writing these scenes? Right. I could have been doing this all day, but I don't know. Sometimes I guess you just have to fill the well or right. whatever all that procrastination does. So do you have a, a page count that you need to do you try to reach every day that you sit down and writing, or is it more of a free-flowing thing for you? Um, when I'm with Kirsten, we try to hit 10 pages a day. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. On my own, it's just free flowing. And you've also spent a lot of time on set during production. Uh, And I know it varies from set to set, from production to production. Um, But for you, what has your experience been like on set? And what is is the screenwriter's responsibility on set, for those who don't know? Um, I always have a lot of fun on set. If they shoot in L.A., I try to go every day or almost every day. Um, two of the movies that have shot here were with the same director, Robert Lukatic, who I adore. He's so fun to work with, and and you know he he's happy to have you on set every day. If I miss a day, he's like, "Where were you yesterday?" <laughs> but um, as for responsibilities, it's not. I just go to watch. But you know, sometimes when you're shooting a scene over and over, and I'm hearing you know the same joke that I wrote mm-hmm. ten times, then it stops being funny to me. So I'll come up with a new joke and whisper that to Robert. And if he likes it, he'll go whisper it to the actors and. And then we have a take with a new joke in it. And oddly enough, sometimes that's the one that always makes it into the movie, just because it seems fresher. But uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's it's good to be there because you have opportunities to do that. Or sometimes with the blocking of a scene, you have to add an extra line, like an exit line or something. So it's always good to be there to, to be able to do that. Plus, mm-hmm. it's just fun. 
to like walk on a set and be like, oh my god, this is exactly how it looked in my head. How did you guys do this? <laughs> That's always cool. Um, cool. Now, we've written a number of uh, your projects with Kirsten Smith. So I wanted to touch a little bit more about writing with a partner because m- most writers uh, write solo and it's very a sort of a solitary uh, endeavor. But writing with a partner obviously it brings its own challenges. Um, so first off, I just wanted to say, uh, ask, how did you find each other? How did you, because obviously well, you weren't in the same city, but how did right. you and Kirsten find each other as writing partners? She was working as the D-girl, development girl, mm-hmm. at this little independent production company. And that was one of the companies that I just sent query letters to. Mm-hmm. And so she read my scripts, and she's like, oh, I love your writing. I want to meet you next time you're in L.A. So the next time I was out here for meetings, we had a drink, and we just I told her an idea that I had for a script, and she liked it even better than I did. And I was like, oh, we should write it together, because she had just quit her job to start start writing. And so we started that night on cocktail napkins, and we just kept going ever since. Uh, the infamous cocktail napkin. <laughs> yeah, it still happens. <laughs> oh, do you really? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, did did that script actually turn out to be one of your projects that got sold, that got made? No. It did not, not yet? Not yet. It was a female action script, um, oh. and which is odd because that's what the one we just finished, The Expendables, is. Right. It took us a while to get back to that, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> um, now, you've obviously written both, uh, writing with a partner, writing solo. What are the differences? Um, well, the difference is, is you don't have to spend time convincing anyone of anything when right. you're writing on your own. Um, but also, you don't have another person bouncing ideas. You kind of get stuck. There's no one saying, I know, what if we do this? <laughs> so, it's the whole two brains versus one brain thing. But So, there are pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely lonelier. Sure. You know, if I spend a day writing by myself that night, I'm like, oh, I should call a friend and go out to dinner. But if I spend the whole day writing with Kirsten, it's, it's been very social. We've been laughing. So I'm like, oh, I'll just stay in tonight and work out. You know? Right. It, it doesn't, like, feed the need to go out and mingle because you've you've been socializing all day right, while right. you're working. Um, And you've obviously been working with Kirsten a long time. But how do you guys resolve, I don't want to say conflict, but differing of opinions when you both have a differing opinion on a specific, you know, speed or plot element or character or whatever, how do you guys resolve that? Well, we always say whoever argues the most vehemently wins. Okay. Um, so, you know, if she's really convinced we need to do something I'm, and I'm not convinced, I'll say, all right, well, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. So we always try it. I mean, if, the, if I'm severely opposed to it, I'll be the one who's most vehement. <laughs> so I win. Let's just get that out <laughs> right try now. It. Right. Well, if she's severely opposed, I'll be like, all right, if she's got that big of an opposition to this idea, maybe we shouldn't even try it. But right. usually we're both, I mean, at, at this point, we're just like, all right, let's try it. Right. But then the next read, if we're like, oh, that didn't work, we take it out. But, yeah, it's we, we used to be a little bit more strident in our disagreements, but now we're at the point like, yeah, we'll try it. <laughs> There's no sense in, like, spending two hours <laughs> arguing over a line. <laughs> a bigger fish to fry. Right. Um, do you have, what, what are the keys to making a writing partnership work to, in your mind? What are some of the keys that you've, you've, you've had or that you have that have made your writing partnership so successful and, and work so well? Uh, well, at this point, we have kind of a shorthand with each other. Like, we'll be like, oh, we need a, 
you know, our little code words for stuff. We'll need, we need this here or that there. And so it's easy for us to understand what the other one's thinking a lot of times. Um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. What, what makes it easy to work with that? No, what, what are the, some of the keys that you oh. have in, in your uh, well, we Well, we get along and mm-hmm. we respect each other's opinion and talents and we have fun and we laugh and uh, yeah, I think it would be hard to write with someone that you know you don't want to spend a lot of time with. <laughs> it's a time-consuming process for sure. Right. I mean, it's a marriage of sorts. I yeah, mean, no, absolutely. It's uh, but you know, we've had some spells where we went to uh, we actually went to couples counseling because did you we were really? Over. Yeah, there's a, a therapist in the valley who's a former screenwriter, and uh, we went to him as our couples counselor. That's his. Because, yeah, we, I mean, we were we're in this long-term partnership, and there were you know little issues that crop up, and finally we were just like, oh, we should straighten this out so we don't have any problems. That's fantastic. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, our main issue was she is frequently tardy, and I am ridiculously punctual. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, that could be an issue. Yeah. That was one of them. And then I would get very angry that she was tardy. Oh, I see. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 pretty much got a handle on that now. <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about adaptation. Okay. Um, I, I know you've written obviously original material like The Ugly Truth and The House Bunny, but you've also done a lot of adaptations of material, um, including some of your own. Like Ten Things I Hate About You was, from what I understand, parts of your own diary, and you know <laughs> the title it, was molded <laughs> into. No, I mean it was. I think the hate about you was was based on Taming of the Shrew, but right. the title was based on. Okay. Um, well, when Kirsten and I decided to write a teen movie, mm-hmm. we um, we had the title before we even came up with the plot. Oh. Um, I I went back and read my high school diaries to get inspiration, and I found a list in there. Um, the boy I dated at the time was named Anthony, and I had a list in there called Things I Hate About Anthony. <laughs> and uh, I told Kirsten that she's like, "Oh my god, that, that's a great title! Ten Things I Hate About You." And, yeah, we had that before anything. And we were shocked that it actually remained the title of the movie. Right. And I'm still friends with Anthony. He's very honored that the movie is named after my temporary hatred for him one day in high school. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I'm like, I wonder what Anthony <laughs> thinks about this, but if you're still... <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it in an interview once, and then I called him, and I was like, I guess I better warn him before he reads that somewhere. <laughs> and he was like, that's awesome. That is awesome. I do think that's pretty awesome. Um <laughs> You know, and, and Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, Crazy Kind of Love, were from novels. Um, she's mm-hmm. the man sort of loosely based on The Twelfth Night. Um, yeah. What are some of the challenges of adapting material and being truthful to the material and still having some sort of, you know, obviously your own voice and creative freedom versus writing right. original material? Well, when you're adapting something, you kind of, you want to read it once to get a sense of the story and the characters and what you love about it, and then kind of come up with the things you, that need to be done to make it more cinematic or the stakes higher or, you know, a bigger arc for the character or things like that and then just kind of go forward and, and make it your own from that point. But, I mean, there's there's usually no one saying you have to keep this element, this element, and that element mm-hmm. in there. Um, sometimes the producer, you know, usually they're just like, you know, Take the good parts that you like and leave out the parts you don't. 
and we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's nice because there's, you know, the underlying story to to work and build from. You're not starting from scratch, so mm-hmm. we like doing adaptations. It's fun. <laughs> but I mean, with Shakespeare, there's actually so much story in each right. of his plays. You have to cut a few storylines. Right. There was, I mean, because the first, you know, our first couple drafts of Ten Things I Hate About You, we tried to cram in all the fun twists and turns and, you know, C, D, E, and F stories that he has, but it was just too much. It was too many characters and too much going on. You have to kind of streamline it. So. Right. And that seems to be the way with a, with a lot of, of novels, right? A lot of, you have to streamline it because there's so much going on in a novel that you just don't have the time for in a, a screenplay. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends on the novel, but a lot of the problems with um, adapt, well, especially when I adapt to my own novel, mm-hmm. I wrote a novel so that I could, you know, get into the character's head and be, you know, and backstory and all, a lot of the things you can't really do in a screenplay. It's mm-hmm. just fun to hear what someone's thinking the whole time. And then when I adapted it to a screenplay, I was just like, hmm, I kind of screwed myself here. i got to invent a lot of stuff <laughs> now. <laughs> but uh, it was, I, I finally managed to do it. But, um, but yeah, so if a novel is, you know, very interior, then uh, you have to come up with ways to make that, you know, act enough action to shoot on a screen. Right, right. Um, no, um, it's, it's pitch season for television. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that, because we really haven't covered that very much uh, within any of our other podcasts. Um, and I know you're going through it a lot now. I mean, you're very busy with pitches. Um, so can you maybe explain to um, listeners what a pitch, whether it's television or film, they're obviously different, but what a pitch generally consists of and what's expected uh, from the writer in the room? Well, this is like, I, you know, I've just started pitching television because the movie industry has kind of sadly shrunken a bit. There's just not as many movies getting made. So. Right. Every single writer is like, hey, TV is looking kind of cool. Let's do both. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, but, um, but with the, you know, with a movie pitch, you're basically pitching the entire plot of the movie in 20 minutes. Um, you're doing, you know, characters. I do dialogue. I mean, Kirsten and I do different voices when we pitch. It's like a little community theater play. <laughs> no. When we pitched House Bunny, we brought Anna Ferris along with us. Oh, and, wow. You know, did, wrote dialogue for us. She fully did the part. It was definitely like a little play. It was a lot of fun. Um, But with TV, it's like you're, you know, you're not just pitching the pilot episode. You're kind of pitching the world and Mm. who the characters are and why this could run for a hundred episodes and what typical, you know, episodes might look like. Um, Just kind of the overall feeling of it. But yeah, so it's, it's a little bit different because you're kind of pitching on a, a bigger scale. But um, it's really a lot about character. And with TV, they they really like it, or they seem to, um, if if you've got some type of personal connection to the the story and the right. characters that you're pitching. Right. Right. So, um. That's the main difference. <laughs> with t- movies, you can pitch, you know, a completely made up world. But right. as long as it'll make a good movie, they don't care if you've never been to Narnia. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Um, and how much preparation do you do for a pitch? Uh, I try to memorize it. I mean, I always bring it with me to refer to, but right. I try to memorize it. Especially because when you're pitching something funny, you don't want to have to, like, stop in the middle of a joke to be like, oh, shit, what's the problem? And look <laughs> at your papers. It kind of ruins the flow. Right. So, yeah, I try to have it in my head as much as I can. Uh-huh. 
But it's hard because, you know, when I'm pitching something with Kirsten, we switch off, so I have a chance to, like, take a sip of water and breathe. Right. But when I'm pitching on my own, it's like 20 minutes I'm trying to, like, get something out and be really funny and not breathe and not drink any water. Right. It's exhausting. <laughs> so, and in pitch meeting, um, the, the thing with pitch meetings is obviously they're very different for different people because there's no specific set guidelines for a pitch meeting. Do you have any sort of tips or, uh, uh, I don't know, little things that you do in a pitch meeting that you think is, I don't want to say unique, but that, that's particular to you? Uh, well, with Kirsten now, we try to switch off as much as we can just to keep it more lively. Mm-hmm. She, I always like to memorize in bigger chunks. She finally had to convince me that we should do it, like switch off more often because she thinks it keeps it more everyone more awake if they're having to concentrate on like, oh, now she's talking, now she's talking. Right. But, um, uh, so we do that. But um, I, long ago, I read a book that Gary Marshall wrote that when he was talking about pitching and he said swear a lot. (laughs) And I swear a lot to begin with. Uh I mean, a lot. Uh So, yeah, in pitches, if I'm, you know, if it's a rated R movie or or even with TV, which, you know, isn't rated R, but I'll still swear a lot because it's just funnier. So that's that's my big pitching tip. Cuss. <laughs> so so it's working. That's great. <laughs> yeah, seems to work. Um, and well, then sometimes I'll ask, like you know, you know, with this TV pitch. Right. Now I ask um, the producer or the studio. I say when we go into the network, I'm like, can I go blue here? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they told me there's one network that is kind of conservative. They're like, yeah, don't go quite as blue in that room. <laughs> um, well, that's that, that's hysterical, but that's awesome. Um, this is not a G-rated podcast, so feel free, feel free to, you know. Okay. If you want, we're okay with and that. That's what I, whenever I do live TV, I'm always terrified that I'm going to swear. <laughs> You're going to be the one who gets bleeped out, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Expendables. Um, okay. and, and how do you make a testosterone-fueled action bonanza like the Expendables into, you know, a female-friendly comedy version? How, how does that work? Well, I mean... Yeah, it's it's definitely not the same tone as sure. the male one. It's more Charlie's Angels on the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, as where yeah, it's you know it's a comedy and and we you know the the male ones are not right. So that was we just kind of invented our our own you know version and tone of it. But it's you know it's hopefully the Sylvester Stallone character is I think he's going to be in ours. But yeah, he. Basically, has to he gets called upon to do a job that only only women can do. So he recruits our girls. But it's uh, it was really fun to write. We the, the fight scenes were really challenging because we mm-hmm. you know we were like oh my gosh we have to make the scene as good as all the boy fight movies and right so we got really into that. But then you know sometimes I, I would go back and read action scripts. Like Shane Black's one of my favorites, and mm-hmm. instead of like choreographing a fight, he'll be like, he walks into the room and everyone dies. And I'm like, <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's all we need to do. Yay! Right. Hey, it worked but, um, Shane Black worked on Lethal Weapon, right? Exactly. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. But it's definitely a different type of writing and stuff we were having to Google stuff we've never Googled before. Like mm-hmm. we'd be in the middle of a scene and I'm, and uh, I was like, okay, so she shoots the guy from the roof here. And she's just, she's like, there's no way that the bullet could go that far. And she's like, I think, this is Kirsten, she's like, I think a bullet can only go as far as, like, 
a football field, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. So we're like Googling it. And I'm like, no, it can go five miles if you have a big gut. And we're like, oh, okay, that opens things up. But yeah, so it's like, those are the, the challenges, like our lack of knowledge in that area. But That's awesome. basically it's just, I mean, our, our main concerns were, you know, the the characters and making it funny sure. and making you care about the girls if they survive all this action. Right. Because sometimes, you know, as a woman watching action movies, it's like, you're watching the characters, and you're like, wait, who's that guy? Who just died? What right. was, did he have a name? I don't even remember that guy. Like, <laughs> So it's, I think to, to hook a female audience, you have to kind of make all the, the characters a little bit more right. memorable and sympathetic in the beginning. Right, right. But, but at the same time, keeping it enough action to make it you know, worthy of being part of an action franchise. And right. Keep the boys watching, which we hope the boys will come. I think they will. Hot chick fighting, why not? Yeah, sure. You're not dressing... Uh, <laughs> alone in drag are you no <laughs> <laughs> okay just wanted to check um no, no 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 but google is an amazing thing um what did writers yeah for google i don't know yeah i don't know that's yeah that baffles me i mean i mean i remember the days you know when i would like go to a library and look stuff up before google but i mean i can't imagine how people got anything done in, like the 30s and 40s right right <laughs> i really don't <laughs> um, we've got a portion of our uh, uh, podcast now called Rapid Fire. It's just a few quick questions um, uh, that we sort of uh, wrap up the show with. Um, the first question, uh, what is one thing you hate about being a professional writer? Oh, gosh. Uh, one thing I hate about being a professional writer. Um, I don't think there's anything I hate about it. Great. Really? What's yeah. one thing you love about being a professional writer? I can work in a t-shirt and underwear or a nice. bikini. That's my official writing uniform, <laughs> t-shirt and underwear or a bikini by the pool. Nice. Um, now, I, I had read on your bio that you had had a job once where you painted furniture. I did. It was where I was living in Albuquerque, and I was I just started writing, and uh, I guess my creative juices were just flowing, so I started painting, too, and I would go to flea markets and buy crappy old furniture and then paint them all these weird psychedelic ways and then sell them to art galleries in Santa Fe. Well, then this question should be perfect. What is the funniest furniture piece name, an ottoman, a futon, or a tuffet? <laughs> a tuffet. I don't even know what a tuffet is, but it's a funny word. <laughs> it's a little, it's a, a footstool. Uh, you know, Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I like that. Uh, since blondes have more fun, who is more fun? You, Reese Witherspoon, or Katherine Heigl when she's blonde? <laughs> <laughs> Me, of course. Uh, that's, what, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, they're all very fun ladies. Um, Katherine Heigl, even when she's not blonde? Yeah, Katherine's a hoot. Um, what's, what is one ugly truth about screenwriting? Oh, one ugly truth about screenwriting. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, I guess that kind of falls in the category of things I hate about screenwriting. <laughs> um, ugly truth, I guess, is that... Uh, I can't think of one. That's a hard question. <laughs> I, I just had to ask it. <laughs> and... Okay. Uh, better leading man, Heath Ledger, Channing Tatum, or Gerard Butler? 
Oh, that's impossible to answer. They're all amazing. <laughs> They're all amazing leading men. Excellent. I love them all. Um, and uh, from what I know, you're a surfer. Yes. Surf. Best surfer ever. Kelly Slater, Andy Irons, or Duke Kahanamoku? <laughs> I'm going to go with Duke because I love to surf in Waikiki, and that's where he started nice. it. So. Nice. Um, do you have any advice for aspiring writers out there? I do. Uh, I would say just read every script you can get your hands on. And there's a lot of good books. I like the Save the Cat books. I like the one that Thomas Lennon and Ben Garant wrote. Um, I think it's called How to Write Screenplays for Fun and Profit or something. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there's I mean, there's tons of information out there to help you now, and it's just a matter of sticking with it and persevering and, and realizing that the first one's not going to sell and, and just keep writing and don't get frustrated. Right. And, I mean, it's it's definitely a different industry than when I first moved out here. I mean, before when you had a pitch, there was like 20 places to pitch. Now there's like five mm-hmm. for a movie. So it's it's definitely shrinking, but there are movies getting made. So especially if you have a big superhero. Right. Yeah. That right. seems to be the vogue right now. Yeah. I wish my brain could think that way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, that's. I guess that's one thing about uh, comedy. Like, to me, the funniest stuff is, like, grounded. Right. And reality. It's like if if you're watching a joke and you're like, oh, I've seen something like that happen, or I know someone that, you know, that happened to, like, it's something that you can imagine being a real situation. Whereas with a lot of the superhero stuff, I kind of glaze over sometimes because I'm like, I, I just don't buy that anyone's going to turn into a spider. I just don't buy it. Right. <laughs> so it's hard for me to, like, really get invested in those stories. But I wish I could train my brain to do that because those movies get made a lot and make a lot of money. <laughs> so Absolutely. maybe I need to get bit by a spider so I can start thinking that way. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me today, Karen. Um, you can visit Karen's website at Karen McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Uh, and please visit our website at scriptandscribes.com for more information on all of our guests, archived podcasts, and lots of other great written interviews and information on writing. And if you have a question about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptandscribes.com or send us a tweet at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.